Welcome to Changing the Climate, the podcast that explores the ins and outs of everyday global and local issues around climate change. Each episode will feature a conversation with a scientist, an expert, or someone who knows more about the topic than myself. These conversations will focus on issues we all must contend with under a warming climate. I'm your host, Richard Bednarski, and I invite you to come along as I seek clarity and understanding while shifting the conversation forward behind climate change. As the wildfire season has officially come to an end with the recent atmospheric river, season one of Changing the Climate is all about fire. Welcome to episode two of Changing the Climate. In this episode, we explore the idea of fire ecology. In early October, I traveled to my hometown, Quincy, California, to learn more about how the Dixie Fire was different from other fires. I wanted to go beyond the sheer size of the fire and learn more about the ecology and what the future holds for the area I grew up in. I spoke with Plumas National Forest fire ecologist Kyle Merriam at length about fire ecology and some of her research. She has found that high severity fires have a greater chance at burning again at high severity within as little as six to 10 years. She began her career as an ecologist with the Fish and Wildlife Service, then moved to the U.S. Geological Service before finally coming over to the Forest Service. This extensive experience as an ecologist helped shape her knowledge of how forests function as a whole system. As time has gone on, fire has become a major management issue, and she said there are now fire effects she has never seen before. This has shifted her work into the ecology of wildfires. Fire is driven by so many different variables. Obviously, the climate and weather are super important looking at fire behavior and fire effects. But then vegetation is a major driver of fire. And then fire is a major driver of vegetation. So that forms a really cool feedback loop. One of the really interesting things about a lot of vegetation types is that they actually grow and they have adaptations that promote the kind of fire effects that benefit them. Some species might be adapted to high severity fire and they actually grow in ways that promote high severity fire, whereas other species are more adapted to lower severity fire and they have characteristics that reinforce a low severity fire regime. So you see these kind of dynamic patterns on landscapes where through succession or through management, we might be shifting from one vegetation type to another. And as a result, we're also shifting the kinds of fire regimes that we see. The Dixie Fire started down the Feather River Canyon, a steep, rugged, and beautiful river corridor that is prone to wildfires. Merriam's research focuses on this area and found that fires like the 2000 Story Fire and the 2008 Ridge Fire have created a pattern of reburning the landscape at high severity she had a chance to go out and survey the landscape before the Dixie Fire came through, and this is going to give her a deeper understanding of how fire ecology has begun to shift under climate change. We found if it burns at high severity, it's going to be very likely to burn at high severity again. Well, I think that we found that temperature was the strongest driver of reburn severity, So, and we've seen that in the Dixie Fire as well, that on days where it was hot, where we had um, high wind speeds, there really wasn't much that could moderate fire behavior. So we, ha we saw high severity fire effects kind of regardless of a lot of the other factors that we think might affect fire. So, but because of both logging, which removed a lot of our large trees uh, from these forests and fire suppression, we now have trees that are characterized by pretty much a very high density of small trees. So second growth trees and just infill of trees. And so when those areas burn at high severity, we then have like an enormous density of snags. And those snags can then fall 
and they create a tremendous amount of fuels. And unfortunately in the Dixie Fire, we had something like 300,000 acres of mixed conifer forest burn at high severity. And all of those areas are now set up perfectly to burn in high severity again. We don't have a lot of places where the climate is really predicted to be able to support trees in the future. So I think our replanting efforts could focus on areas that have burned twice at high severity. They don't have high fuel loads, but also target places where we know the climate is going to be able to support trees in the future. So it, when you look at that map, you think, oh my God, it looks like a lot of high severity, right? And it was maybe like 40%, which is, is high. But when we looked at patch sizes, over 90% of the patches were less than 100 acres in size. 100 acres is actually what we would have expected under a natural fire regime. Like even a low severity fire often has small patches of high severity. And that was really important for promoting like forest heterogeneity, having a mix of species, having little patches of shrubs, patches of seedlings, and then, you know, old growth forests right next to it. When we look at places that have burned under natural fire regimes, it's incredibly heterogeneous. I mean, you wouldn't even, after living and seeing forests like that, you wouldn't even believe how much heterogeneity you see with a natural fire regime. And part of that is because we do have small patches of high severity fire. We did have some very large patches of high severity. In fact, one that was 30,000 acres, one patch, 30,000 acres of high severity. So that's extreme and way beyond the natural range of variation for high severity fire effects. So we had a lot of little patches, but they didn't add up to a lot of area. We had a few large patches and they ended up comprising 30% of the high severity fire that we've seen. So some of those are quite damaging and it will be hard to restore those areas to what they were prior to the fire. These massive tracts of high severity fires can have a devastating effect on the landscape. As climate change increases temperature, it is also drying out the landscape. One of the ways this happens is by increasing the atmospheric demand for moisture. In addition, as plants are sprouting back after a fire from roots or seeds, climate change has begun to make these conditions unfavorable for these fledgling seedlings. Miriam gives an example about a beloved grove of cypress trees that burned in the 2007 Moonlight Fire, which is just west of Susanville, California. She believes it may not have survived the high severity reburn of the Dixie Fire. Well, I think we get really focused on sort of the catastrophes and the tragedies that have occurred with these fires. But really after a fire happens, we're somewhat limited in what we can do to restore those areas. I mean, now because of climate change, we're seeing that we have a hard time, a lot of species have a hard time germinating and surviving after a large high severity fire because of the recent droughts that we've had and also just long-term increases in temperature. Places where trees were still able to survive are not necessarily places where a seedling can do well. And in fact, a lot of our trees right now are already really stressed by drought. Some of them are just kind of already at the limit of the climatic conditions that they can tolerate. So I think more focus on our unburned landscapes and a sense of urgency uh, is warranted. You know, unfortunately we're losing some of our species that reproduce from seed because we've had so many fires now. A lot of woody vegetation can't really tolerate being burned at high severity multiple times. Species that reproduce by seed need enough time to mature, produce that seed, and then for that, in order for that seed to germinate. So when you get fires really frequently, like we're seeing now, species that reproduce by seed tend to get lost from the system. And we, that's happened a lot in Southern California and we're seeing that happen here as well. So um, 
I think we, we're still lucky that we have sprouting species that are still able to sprout back. They may not be able to do that forever. You know, some of our oak species can also sprout back and those are also provide a lot of great ecological services. So I think just allowing that process to occur is an important part of our post-fire our post-fire strategies. You know, unfortunately, we lost a population of cypress, which is a serotonous species. It requires fire in order to regenerate. And it was burned in the moonlight fire, so we had a lot of little seedlings, but they were only 14 years old. And when the Dixie fire came, it completely extirpated that population. We can never get that population back. You know, that is lost forever. And similarly, some of our old growth forests, you know, our 600 year old red fir forests, we're not gonna have a stable climate for 600 years to regrow those trees. We'll never get those trees back. The Dixie Fire successfully burned across the mountain divide of the Sierra Nevada and Cascade Mountain Range, something that hasn't happened in recent history. This is just another fire effect it has exhibited that is different than fire regimes in the past. What this means is the fire had to burn through a high elevation red fir forest, which typically is known as a moist and cool environment at elevations above 6,500 or 7,000 feet above sea level. However, the fire moved through in July, the hottest month on record, and in the midst of a very harsh drought. This allowed the fire to burn nearly 60 miles from west to east, changing fire ecology as we know it. Well, when we think about the importance of our Feather River Canyon being mostly southwest facing slopes and what that might mean for fire activity, southwest facing slopes are often drier. And so we would expect them to burn hotter and see you know, more severe fire in those areas. But now as a result of the drought and climate change, you know, just warmer temperatures, we're seeing that places that we used to think were moister and probably would not burn at high severity, like our northeast facing slopes, are actually burning with, at really high severity. And we're also seeing that higher elevation forests, you know, red fir forests, places that were often wet for a long period of the year because of our snowpack, are also much, much drier than they were historically. So we're seeing fire effects in places, all of the fuel in on our northeast facing slopes in our higher elevation forests is now available to burn and it is burning. So that's part of what drove, I think, the large that just the extent of the Dixie Fire is that the fire was not uh, moderated or, or, you know, stopped in places that used to really not have fuel that was available to burn because it was too moist. It's not moist anymore. It's dry. So we had just an unprecedented drought on top of a long-term trend of increasing temperatures in this region and declining snowpacks at higher elevations. So it's really a, it's really a climate-driven phenomenon. As warmer temperatures have led to a shorter period of time during the year when precipitation falls as snow, the snowpack is declining from year to year. This reduced snowpack often melts earlier in the year, taking away water from the plants during the dry season, which leads to increased fuel aridity or dryness. I had the chance to visit a burn area along with Miriam, and she showed me what a high severity looks like on the landscape. As you might imagine, black and dusty, snags or dead trees left standing were stacked like toy soldiers amongst charred and shattered rocks. Thick stumps of chaparral species, most likely manzanita, they were all that remained of something that just months ago was an alive forest. Merriam explained that the thicker the diameter of these stumps left behind after a fire passes through indicates a higher burn temperature and increased severity. But there are areas of low severity throughout the fire scar, and these areas may be the future of our forests. 
I mean, it makes sense that these fires um, generate a lot of attention, but I think that our best opportunities and maybe what might even be more urgent than answering questions about what we do after a fire is focusing on areas that have not yet burned and really thinking about how do we set these areas up to survive or benefit from a future fire. We may not be able to restore forests in a lot of the places where the Dixie Fire burned, but we still do have forests on other parts of our, you know, other parts of these landscapes. And those are the areas where I think we have the best chance. If we want to have forests in the future, I think that's where we need to be focusing our attention. And that's where we need to have a sense of urgency because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when those places are going to burn. So we're looking at much greater areas of high severity, larger patches and greater proportions of the fire that are burning at higher severity than we would have ever predicted. And high severity fires do a lot of damage to our soil resources and um, they can potentially you know, create a lot of erosion, sedimentation, landslides. Um, in terms of what we can do to um, reverse some of those effects, reestablishing vegetation in those areas is really important. One of the vegetation types that can do well after high severity fire are some of our montane chaparral species. They tend to um, either sprout back after a fire or they have a long-lived seed bank where they can germinate after a fire. They can actually play a really important role in stabilizing our soils. They can increase soil moisture, they can return nutrients to the soils. But I think in this era, of just these extremely large high severity fires, we need to think about how other vegetation types can really help us restore the fire and provide important ecological services in the future. Instead of just taking on this whole giant fire as one huge effort, which could be really overwhelming, we try to break it down and recognize that there are areas where the Dixie Fire may have had beneficial effects. And in some places they have now burned at low severity two or three times. So a lot of our mixed conifer forests are actually adapted to frequent low severity fire. That's how they evolved. And those kinds of fire effects can really have some beneficial effects for forest health. They can reduce stand densities. They can particularly reduce small trees. They often retain large trees, which are some of our most fire resilient trees. And so in those areas, we may actually be able to say that the Dixie Fire has like started to reestablish natural fire regimes. And we could focus on trying to promote those kinds of fire effects in those areas. So places that were able to withstand the Dixie Fire and still have forests, those places may be more resilient to future climates. They have already shown that they were somewhat resilient to the drought that we've had because they didn't burn at high severity. And so currently our fire organization really prior only prioritizes um, trying to save you know, protect human life and protect property. So a lot of the efforts that we saw that we see in fires are directed at, you know, saving people's houses and protecting towns. But I think that it's important that we also consider the value of our natural resources. So when we lose 308,000 acres of mixed conifer forests, we are losing a very significant source of carbon sequestration. One of the probably most important ecological values that our forests provide, especially as climate, climate change is progressing, sequestering carbon is one, I think, one of the um, really 
primary functions that we need to be trying to protect. And unfortunately, we're losing forests globally. I mean, it's not just here in the Western United States, it's all around the world. So I think efforts to protect our forests, if only for the, their ability to sequester carbon, provides immense, immense value to not only the American people, but to the entire planet. Focusing on the stands of trees that have survived not only the current drought, but the Dixie Fire may be a smart move. Viewing these resilient groves of trees as a form of carbon sequestration may be one of the more prudent tools we have against the changing climate. Knowing more about the way the Dixie Fire acted upon the landscape and seeing the effects firsthand makes it clear the fire regime has shifted due to human activity, and what we do moving forward in terms of forest management will shape the future of fire ecology and fire regimes in the American West.